0: Everyone and welcome to the Royals Rundown. It's Jacob Milham here with another Wednesday evening episode. I've got the crew, and you want to hear what we have to talk about. First up, we got Jeremy Hikayas Greco. Jeremy, how you doing tonight? You know, not as good as Kyle Isbell, I guess, but I'm doing okay. That is true. That is true. We will talk about why Kyle Isbell is going to be missing from the Royals lineup for a few days here coming up. But uh, one man who is never missing on the Royals beat, our editor, Max Reaper. Max, how are you doing tonight, man?
1: I'm doing great because I don't have to pay for $20 parking at Kauffman Stadium tonight. So. <laughs> Oof. Oof. All right. I'm yeah. watching at home. Yes. I'm able to watch at home, which unlike a lot of people.
0: That is, uh, you know what, Jeremy, we've talked about it plenty of times before. We, uh, we certainly take advantage of being able to watch it. For all y'all who are uh, who are stuck with in the Bally's dead zone, are I, I salute you because it is a it's tough to be a Royals fan when you can't really watch them at all. Sorry, sorry, Iowa, you're out of luck. Oof. Um, let's see. Sorry, Iowa. I think parts of Arizona, Missouri, the whole shebang. And it's not like Iowa has anything else going for it, really. <laughs> So then, it's
2: just like you're already yeah. in Iowa, and now you can't even watch Royals games. Oh.
1: Sorry, sorry for our listeners in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy's views do not reflect that of Royals review. Or... Say <laughs> so you can send your letters to the editor straight to him.
0: You know what? L- Listen, listen, all of our listeners out there. I think the person who has it hardest to watch is this random person in New South Wales in Australia who keeps tuning in to each and every episode so kudos to them if uh if, y- if you hear this please send me your address because i need to send you a, f- a fan package i'm not kidding you guys ever since we moved over to anchor there is one person in australia who's listened to every single episode that we've that's put either,
1: out let that's, that's either former royal uh first baseman justin huber or loyal royals review commenter royal duf who is all from australia he lives in australia He comments on our uh, in our mess on our uh, community quite a bit. Uh, if it is him, I salute him. Thank you for, for tuning in.
0: Of course. Of course. Well, Hey guys, let's go ahead and hit the ground running. Uh, we had some late breaking news this evening. Royals manager, Matt Cotrero did test positive for COVID-19 something, a headline that we have not seen in quite a while. It seems in sports bench coach, Paul Hoover, who is in his first season with the Royals will serve as the interim manager. Um, So that means Q, you know, he just logged his first managerial win with the Royals. He won't be around for the series finale against the Blue Jays, which is about to hit first pitch right now. Um, We don't have a timeline for when we can expect him back. Max, just real quick. Do you think this is going to impact the Royals at all?
1: uh well first of all the, the there is actually one more game in the series and i made the same mistake as you did i thought it was a three game set it's actually a four game oh my set goodness with an afternoon okay, game whoops. tomorrow so and i did the exact same thing for the series preview so you're not the only one uh yeah, I don't. I don't think it'll. I don't, shouldn't make a big impact. I would think. Uh, I'm sure he's telling Paul the kind of lineups he wants, and they probably on the same page. Uh, I'm glad he got his first win out of the way before this. I mean, it would have really sucked if he lost his first like four games and then had to be out for however long he has to be out. Which I don't know if they. I, I'm assuming they don't have protocols anymore. I don't yeah, know if there's like a designated time so. he has to be out. I, I'm guessing he's just out as long as they feel like is 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 reasonably necessary. Uh, so we'll have to see. I don't. I haven't really seen any details on exactly how long they think he'll be out. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't expect a huge impact. But uh, but hopefully he gets better. It doesn't. Nothing. Nothing too serious. Uh, I know there are some people that are still getting serious um, side effects or serious effects of COVID. But for the most part, it seems like people are handling it okay. So hopefully he's one of those mm-hmm. that gets back on the men pretty quickly. For sure,
0: for sure, Jeremy. Let's go ahead and put on our tinfoil hats real fast. Whit Merrifield comes back to Kansas City. Mac Cotrero test positive f- positive for COVID nineteen. Is there any correlation? Yes or no? I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm not putting on that tinfoil hat. Oh that
2: one, that I will put on many tinfoil hats. That one I am going to leave across the room.
0: Not going <laughs> to touch that one with a ten foot pole. <laughs> Listen, all the listeners out there, this is a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> Okay, not 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 saying anything about with Merrifield. You got a pretty I will, good... I will bash Iowa some more if you want. Even though okay. I've never done any. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Yeah, we'll we'll leave that lie. We'll leave that lie. Well, hey. Um, let's go ahead and roll on to the next news bit. Um, surprisingly Nick Prado is returning to the Kansas city Royals, but for a very good reason because outfielder Kyle Isbell is getting placed on the paternity list. Him and his wife, Priscilla are expecting their very first child. So congratulations to Kyle and Priscilla. Hopefully everything goes smoothly right there, but Max, let's go and focus on the on-field product Prado is in the lineup tonight against the blue Jays. Um, what, what are you expecting from Prado? He has looked good so far in Omaha this season, but are you expecting any big things during this stint?
1: So his promotion, <clears throat> excuse me, was a, was a little bit curious to me because Kyle Osbell is an outfielder. Um, they're already kind of thin in outfielders. And so you figured, okay, they might bring up an outfielder to replace him. Now Prado is playing left field tonight. Um, I don't know if that's a position they think he's going to be playing more and more. It would make some sense with Vinny Pasquantino already at first base. They probably don't want to leave, you know, they probably want to let DH kind of open for the days that Salvi has to be there. Also, Fran Mill Reyes isn't a very good fielder. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a little, I was a little, uh, I thought a little. a little curious that the Prada got the call. Also, I mean, he's doing okay for Omaha, but he's not like hitting the cover off the ball. There's nothing we can say about Prada that we didn't know a week ago, you know, when he didn't make the team, um, so I thought if they were, if they needed a guy just for a couple of days because Isabel's probably gonna be gone for a couple of days, probably back by the weekend, and you don't want to bring up a guy like Prado and then have to send him back down immediately, you know, after a couple of days. He's a guy that once he's up, you kind of want him to be up. So I thought they'd bring up a guy like Samad Taylor, who has hit the cover off the ball in Omaha. He's already on the 40-man roster. He's an outfielder or can play outfield at least. Um, has has that experience. And you'd feel okay shuttling him back and forth because I think he's just a guy, a nice bench piece. Um, whereas Prado, I think that they, they, you kind of hope that he becomes a solid starter for you, hopefully at first base. So I don't know; the timing is weird. Why? Why did he not make? How does he not make the team and then gets called up a week later to be on the team, which I would think for good until he, unless he just proves he's overly matched, overmatched the big league level. Uh, so I don't know. That's it's it's interesting. I'll, you'll we'll see what he does. I I'm still. Um, I, I think the strikeouts are still an issue um, You know, maybe they got a plan to attack that at the big league level. Maybe they think working with Alex Zonwald at the big league level will be better for him. Uh, but, but I am curious to see his approach because I know they're trying to take a patient approach, but for him, it's almost like he's a little too patient. So maybe they have to add some aggressiveness to him, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see what he could do. Uh, you know, having another young, you know, high upside bat to this lineup, that's struggling a little bit. Um, I think that could be a good thing. We'll have to see if he's, he's up for the challenge of hitting the big league level.
0: Um, Jeremy, do you have any thoughts on Prado's call-up? Was it a little curious to you? Yeah, the weird, like Max was
2: saying, the weird thing is, is that Prado is not a guy that you probably want to call up for a couple of days and then send back down. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But at the same time, what do we know about Prado less than a week into the season that we didn't know before the season started? And, and what do, and assuming you do want to keep Prado up, what do we know about someone who's already on the 26 man roster that we didn't know ahead of time? Uh, people talked about Eaton possibly being demoted, uh, which would make a kind of sense. He He's a, he's probably a utility guy can go up and down and that's fine, but he made the roster out of spring training. And I know we struggled, but it's been three games, I think, for him. Four games, maybe. It's, it's, it's not a huge sample size. Uh, another thought I had is that Hunter Dozier is not getting as much playing time as I thought he would. And and Matt Duffy is is just hitting everything. So maybe they might want to finally cut Hunter Dozier. But again... It's not even been a week. What do we know about Hunter Dozier now that we didn't a week ago? So that's that's the weird part for me is just what what's the thought process here of calling up Prado and, and what does that mean for the roster going forward?
0: Yeah, for sure. And we, we do have to keep in mind that Prado healing has two minor league options remaining. So if he gets sent back down, then that means, you know, things get really tight once you want to make some more transactions, some more roster moves down the line. Um, Jeremy, I completely agree with what you were talking about with Nate Eaton. I think that he is a, uh, he's a very strong demotion candidate, unfortunately right now, um, especially when drew waters comes back. I think that is a, uh, there's already that looming roster log jam that we're looking at where, you know, is it going to be Jackie Bradley jr? Is it, Is it going to be, you know, one of these non-roster invites that gets cut for, for some reason and calling up Nick Prado only clouds that outlook even more coming up on the other side of this ad break. We'll talk about Jeremy's favorite pitcher in Royals uniform. Please stay tuned. And we are back here on the Royals rundown. So, Jeremy, I was doing some more uh, some more research over this guy that you're about to talk about, and I was very surprised to see that he is tied for the wins above replacement lead amongst Royals pitchers so far. Already in 2023, he has a .2 wins above replacement tied with Zach Greinke. Max, are you surprised to see Chris Bubich with, uh, with such a high metric already?
1: Well, there's, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Keith law uh, wrote about some of the, or it was calm. I think he's on the radio locally talking about some of the Royals pitching development problems. And he was like, you know, Chris Bubich, he's, he should be a guy, not like a super high upside guy, but he should be like a quality fourth or fifth starter that you would feel comfortable putting in the back of your rotation. And he, he considered it an indictment on the Royals that he hasn't become that. Well, I mean, it's one start, but, but he looks like he could become that guy. I mean, I think, he, I think we did see some adjustments, um, and I, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw so far from him. Um, you know, I think it's nice to have uh, a guy like that who, you know, isn't going to be Brady Singer, but um, if the Royals can get a back the rotation guy coming through their system, that's, you know, how, what does that go on the free agent market? That's what nine or $10 million. Mm-hmm. You don't have to spend on a guy like, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Jason Vargas, well, Jason Vargas may be a little too good for that, but you know, a honest. guy a guy like that, you know, who, who, who would pitch in the back of your rotation, but you know, so I think it would be great if they could develop Chris Boobich um, uh, and uh, you know, through one start, he looked pretty good. You know, that's a nice feather in the cap of Brian Sweeney. We'll see if it continues. Of course. And Jeremy,
0: I want to give you the floor is yours. Please (laughs) talk to us about how good Chris Bubich looked despite, you know, he did give up seven hits, but honestly, I agree with you. He looked great against the blue Jays.
2: So the first thing I noticed is that, uh, one walk, one walk in those five innings, um, lots of first pitch. Let me try that again. First pitch strikes. Uh, so, you know, the, the rating, the zone seems to be working for him. Uh, and then I was looking at a tweet by a a great baseball follow. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, Lance Brozdowski, uh, tweeted about, uh, tweeted about, he tweets about different pictures and some of the stuff that's changed so far this year. He's actually tweeted about Keller and Singer too, um, and talked about how Keller's curveball looks really good and Singer's fastball looks better. Um, but what he had to say about Bubich was that his slider was fantastic, uh, which kind of matches the eye test. The slider looked pretty good, um, and then he said his fastball is much better. He's getting a lot more extension, and his fastball is up almost two miles per hour, which is one of the things I highlighted in the offseason Is that Chris Bubich has generally pitched better when his fastball is coming in hotter and and so to see that play out in that first start that is i think an excellent sign um and I just, uh, the whole thing takes me back to pitching coaches. And what we were hoping for this offseason is we saw them bring in a new manager, new pitching coach, new philosophy. And actually, something that was said on the broadcast yesterday, which I think they didn't realize was quite the slam it was against the previous regime, um, where they had, they talked about um, when the Royals brought in different pitching coaches, they, had the, as part of the interview process, they had them evaluate different pitchers. Um, and, and like, what would you do about this? What, how would you handle this? And they said, Brian Sweeney got Chris Bubich, and Brian Sweeney said, why isn't he already throwing a slider? And of course he had a slider last year. Cal Eldrin says you can't throw that. So he doesn't throw it. Uh, that's, that's a pretty big slam against Cal Eldrin. uh, that you like, you don't even mention Cal Eldron's name, but yeah, that's what that was. Uh, so it's great to see him having success. It's great to see not just the slider being effective, but the fastball getting better. Uh, one of the guys we have on here a lot, Greg Walker talked about how the Royals fastballs are not Good. They have bad fastballs. Um, but his spin rates were up on all of his pitches, his fastball, his curveball, his changeup, his slider. Uh, and and I'm I picked Chris Bubic to have the best season out of all the Royal starters. And I after one start uh as a noted non-overreactor,
0: I can say I'm feeling really good about that pick right now. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Hey, one more cherry I want to add to your uh to your Sunday there, Jeremy. Um, something that really stood out to me about Boobich is we're we're talking about a slider and Ann Rogers put out a a great piece immediately after the game, she was burning the midnight oil. And she talked all about, it's literally titled how Boobich's slider could take him to the next level. And that's, I think that's absolutely true. She pointed out that Boobich against the blue Jays threw nine sliders total. And on those nine, Including ones out of the zone. He got five swings and three whiffs. So you're yep. telling me that on a third of his sliders, he got a whiff from an opposing batter? I will certainly take that. And he's also being candid in the piece about how he plans on deploying the slider. So that shows me there is that he can throw it and he also has a plan for it. So I am very much looking forward to Bubic's next start. And one more metric I do want to add is if you look at his fielding independent pitching. Uh, FIP for short, it's a, it's a fan graph statistic that I really like. So what it does is it measures the pitchers run prevention independent of the performance of the defense behind them. It's more of a, uh, it's more of a, a pitcher centric stat rather than, um, ERA, which could you know depend on variables. So his FIP right now is 2.23. Okay. That is, that is at an elite level. If if you want to go back in his career, the best fit he's ever had is four point seven five. So that is a very strong start. I know it is it's one start, but we also got to remember Chris Bubich. He was tied for the the team lead in starts last year. If he can continue this trajectory, uh, we might see a lot more Chris Bubich in the near future. So I am uh, I'm very excited. Max, do you have anything else to add on to the Bubich story?
1: No, but just that I, I I think we'll be kind of closely monitoring a lot of these pitchers to see what changes they've made. I think I've, we've already seen a little bit of uh, changes from Carlos Hernandez, for example. Um, you know, uh, so I, th- and I think a lot of these guys have good stuff. We just need to see some tinkering, and this is the time to do it. I mean, this is not a year they're going to be contending. Um, it, this is a year for some of these pitchers to try out different things, and not all of them's going to not all of these uh, tinkering's are going to work. But um, so far, I think the early results have been good. The pitching has been pretty solid. I think so far, it's only been a couple of games, but uh, you know, it has a chance to be a real strength on this team.
2: And this is—I mean, this is 100% what we were hoping for when we heard about the new pitching coaches. And the Royals said, "Listen, it's not our pitch, our development. It's our major league coaching that's the problem right now." And and so far, they they look like they actually knew what they were talking about. Of course, it is only five games into the season, but we'll see.
0: That we will, that we will. And hey, let, let's go ahead and stick on this uh this small sample size overreaction stuff. Right. <laughs> so look, listen, it made Royals headlines talking about, you know, the scoreless streak. And uh it was it was really, I mean, I wouldn't say one of it was the worst offensive start in in Royals history. I think a lot of a lot of the metrics prove that. But something that we always heard on on social media and on the broadcasting, the radio broadcasts is all these hard hit balls that the Royals were putting in play, which, you know, it's, it's something it is showing good, solid contact and, and I'm here for it. But Jeremy, I want you to, I want you to kind of pitch, pitch this to me. How, why do hard hit balls matter if they're not going for hits? You know what I mean? Right. Right. So uh,
2: a hard hit ball is is kind of an indicator of a process over the results, which is a big thing in baseball where the results are frequently out of your control, not there. It's kind of like field fit tries to measure what is actually under the pitcher's control. Uh, And so the thing about hard hit balls is I think this is this is kind of be kind of uh, reasonable and everyone can see this coming is the harder you hit the ball, the harder it is to catch it the, 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 the less time fielders have to get to the ball before it becomes a hit. And so there's other stuff that goes, that plays into that such as launch angle or the direction you're hitting the ball. If you hit 115 mile an hour line drive, but you hit it directly at the second baseman, that's not a hit, but you don't control where you hit it. Most of the time, you can only control how hard you hit it by controlling what kind of pitches you're swinging at. And, uh, and, and, what kind of pitches you're swinging at and how you're timing it and all that stuff. So generally speaking, when you're hitting the ball harder, you should expect to get more hits. Uh, this, it doesn't play out necessarily like one-to-one because again, there's stuff like launch angle that plays into that, that you can try and adjust with the way you swing the bat, but the Royals have been hitting the ball very hard. Um, even if their barrels are not great and their launch angle is not as good as it could be. So you still expect them to have, I think more hits than they have had, um, which is why you're seeing a lot of analysts and bloggers talking about how they're not super concerned about the offense right now uh, because they, they see those hard hit balls. Now other people are like, well, the barrels are pretty bad. So who cares how hard they're hitting it? So, uh, and they're right, but there's kind of a middle ground there where it's maybe they shouldn't be hitting like 400 on their batted balls, but then should be more than the 208 that they have uh, going into tonight's action.
1: Yeah, I think uh, with a lot of this uh, this data-driven approach they're taking now, it's it's we're talking about law of averages, that stuff. So, uh, and they've talked a little bit about this. It's not, um, you know, when you're counting cards, um, you're not going to be able to predict with the large cards every single hand. I mean, sometimes a two pops up. Uh, sometimes you hit the ball on the nails and it's right out of the second baseman, like Jeremy said. Uh, but it's more about, you know, over time, these things tend to even out. And so if you're hitting the ball hard, um, you're generally going to find holes eventually. Uh, and so that's why people aren't, aren't super concerned yet. Now I'll say this. It, yeah. I think Jeremy kind of alluded to this as well. It's not just a hard hit rate. Right? Like you need, you need a you know launch angle and, and and some other things to, to, to be able to hit. And, and, but I think overall the approach they're taking is sound. And I like what they're talking about. Cause I think with the, with the old regime, they might try something like the shift. And if it didn't work, if like someone, you know, so the someday Another team got like 12 hits and like four were through the shift. Uh, you know, you'd hear some like, ah, grumbling about, oh, why are we doing this shift? Uh, whereas this regime, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Quattraro has already talked about how, you know, there's a process to what, what they're doing and it's not going to work every night. He's like, well, it didn't work tonight, but we hope over the long run it will. I think he was talking about um, some of the pitching changes he made. You know, he said that, well, we wanted to bring in Amir Garrett. We feel like, you know, him even fa- him facing a right hander, you know, he wanted to bring up Mayor Garrett face a left-handed hitter, knowing that they would put in a pinch hitter. And he said that was right-handed. And he said, Well, I knew they were gonna bring in a right-hander, but we felt like a pinch hitter is gonna be uh worse in performance than a starter, so it's worth making that trade, essentially trading my starter and your left-handed hitter for your for Amir Garrett and your right-handed hitter. And you know, it didn't work out, but he, I, I like that he's being very transparent about his process and saying, Look, it's a process. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. We all think over time it will work more often than not, but it's not like analytics is a magic bullet for all situations. It's going to work more often than not. Hopefully if you're doing, you know, if you if you're crunching numbers, right. Um, but, uh, it's not gonna work every night. So that's why we're saying. We keep emphasizing it's only five games. Like, it's, you know, in small samples, uh, things don't seem to work. You know, you know, like if you flip a coin over, uh, five times and it's four times heads, it's not because you're dealing with a, a one side or you know a weighted coin or anything like that. It's just well, you know, dumb luck sometimes. Uh so we're seeing some dumb luck right now. Uh and hopefully that evens out for the was it did explode for nine runs on Monday, but then yesterday, you know, back down to one run. So you'll probably see a lot of that in the first couple of weeks of it.
0: I, I really myself. like go Sorry, No. So, go okay. Uh
2: I really like that comparison to the counting cards, uh, because everyone pretty much understood not everyone, but anyone who knows a little bit about blackjack knows that counting cards is considered like, that's the thing you do if you want to win. And casinos will look at you and go, okay, you're not going to be in my casino anymore if you're going to do that because that you're going to win too often. But like you said, you don't win every time when you're counting cards. It just increases your odds. It increases your odds a lot, but it doesn't, doesn't make you give you 100% success rate. And so that's what analytics kind of can do for you in baseball is it'll increase your odds even if it doesn't give you 100%
0: success rate. For sure. For sure. And also I do want to, I do have to plug a friend of the podcast, David Lesky. He did put out a good entry in his sub stack about, you know, a little bit more on the hard hit balls so far in the 2023 season. So please go check that out. Or if you want to crunch some numbers and make your head hurt a little bit go, uh, go log into fan graphs and you could, uh, you could do all that. Trust me. I tried it. It, it did not work out very well. Coming up on the other side of the ad break, we're going to riff a little bit on the uh, on the whole parking situation and how it's affecting Royals fans' moods so far in the 2023 season, and we'll get in some reviews before the end of the show. Stay tuned. And we are back on the Royals Rundown. Jake Milham here with Jeremy Greco and Max Reaper. So, Jeremy, you brought this up when we were, when we were getting ready for the show. I'm going to throw you under the bus Um, now both of us, we don't have to deal with the whole parking situation at Kauffman stadium, um, Kansas city star, they put out a piece, you know, quote unquote, comparing the prices at Kauffman to other major league teams. And it really made the $20 that people have to pay for just general parking, not even premium parking. It made it look like the, the league standard and things like that. But Max, I want to get your thoughts on this first. Um, how do you, how do you think that the parking prices are affecting Royals fans turnout at Kauffman stadium so far?
1: So I'll be honest. I don't think it factors that much. I think people have okay. made a big deal right. about All it. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's $20 and like the star piece pointed out, that's pretty comparable to a lot of teams. Now the Royals winning percentage doesn't compare to a lot of teams. So <laughs> then, I think that's probably the bigger concern among that's bigger, the bigger reason why fans aren't showing up. Uh, but I think, think 20 dollars is is you know it Well, it, things everything costs more these days i mean it costs 20 dollars to go to the movies these days um it is kind of crazy that we've just kind of accepted for years and years and years that it that teams should charge for parking at all i mean it's kind of crazy i don't i don't pay 20 dollars to go to target you know just to park in the yeah. lot uh so that's that's kind of crazy but if we are going to accept parking uh prices i guess 20 dollars isn't that bad, uh, especially with the cost, like the, the Royals tickets themselves, especially like this week, they were selling them for five bucks. So I, I don't think it's that big of a draw. And look, if they were better, I don't think no one anyone would care. I think the fact people care is that they, they stink and the prices haven't gone down. So I don't know. It wouldn't be a bad um, gesture if they did like have nights where it was down to like 10 bucks or something like that. But I don't know if they have the power to do that with the Truman Sports Complex, Jackson County Authority, whatever. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Jeremy, I mean, just for you though, would like, let's say on any event that you wanted to go to, if you had to pay $20 just to park your car and then walk to the ticket booth where you have to pay more money to get into the event, would that affect your odds of going to said event?
2: The thing is that, uh, that I mean, that's it's pretty common in other things. Uh, you want to do anything in a downtown area, uh, I, I lived in Atlanta for a long time. If I wanted to do anything in Atlanta, I was paying for parking, and then I was also paying for whatever it was I was doing there. Um, if I went to I went to some concerts, I went to a couple shows out there. It, I had to pay for both. Um, but, but <laughs> this is where I I go. Okay, when I paid for parking, I wasn't necessarily or or even always paying the people who were running the event. I was paying for parking because parking is limited in a downtown area and supply and demand, people own this land, they charge to allow you to park on it. In the Royals case, you are paying the Royals directly for the privilege of parking after you've already paid for the tickets to get into the stadium and to me that's like double dipping and that's a little bit it's i feel like it's a little dishonest it's a little monopoly monopolizing too because if i wanted to say go to an atlanta baseball game uh i could pay however much to park at their parking lot the last time i went was uh i think it was 2017 when turner field was still around i actually i'm I'm an easy mark i got caught by a scalper and i paid 30 dollars for parking when i should have paid 10 but if i wanted to pay less i could have parked farther away from the stadium or i could have taken transit those aren't options for the royals so it's kind of a a monopoly situation where oh well we'll charge whatever we want and they charge 20 bucks and you don't have a choice so i don't i don't like it i I agree with max i don't think it's really affecting anything anybody who's going to go to a game is is factoring that cost in and they understand it but i also think that it is a little questionable and i kind of hate it
1: yeah, I just want to point out that uh, you, uh, you make a really good point about how it's a monopoly of parking over there. And I, w- I just want to highlight that Farmhand, who also comments on our site, wrote an excellent fan post a couple years back about how difficult it was for him to basically walk to the stadium from from a parking lot somewhere else and uh and they don't make it very safe. It's not a very pedestrian friendly area to walk around. Um and I, I remember they used to have a Royals Express bus that came kind of came to the stadium. I don't think I know there's some bus service out there, but I don't think it's as easy as as it necessarily used to be. So, yeah, it's it's pretty difficult to get out there if you don't pay the 20 bucks. Uh so that that's certainly a factor as well.
2: And a lot of, uh, when you go back to that, uh, to the Kansas city star piece, there, there's a lot of situations where the parking is a lot more than $20, but you had other options. You had Mm -hmm. transit, you had parking in other areas. Um, and and a lot of the places where there were fewer options, or even some of the places where there was transit, you could get parking for cheaper than 20 bucks. Like I said, I could park in Atlanta, 2017, 10 bucks. And I think that's true at the new field. You can still park there for 10 bucks. And you already have more parking options. So it's 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 a situation where, yeah, everybody's kind of dealing with it, but I also understand why they're complaining. It's it's irritating.
1: And for those worried about like downtown baseball, like I went to this first round of the big 12 tournament at uh, T-Mobile Center downtown, parked for, for four bucks, uh, four blocks south of the arena because there was plenty of on-street parking and you can you just put, put your money in the, or you, you could actually do it on your app. Uh, and pay online. It was incredibly easy. Now, you know, will it be as easy when there's a stadium there? I don't know, but I I imagine they're going to make it as easy as they can.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of options to make downtown parking pretty easy whenever they build the new stadium. I just do just want to concur with both of y'all. When I go to Camden Yards, it's team sanctioned parking for five bucks within a quarter mile of camden yards proper so it's not it's not that hard they make it pedestrian friendly and they you know baltimore is kind of the butt of you know safe jokes out there um and they have folks watching over the parking lots and things like that but five bucks gets me all of that and gets me pretty dang close to camden yards if you ask me so i think that is a pretty good deal let's stop talking about parking for a little bit that's a that's pretty Pretty boring. Let's rattle off some Royals review reviews. Max, will you start us off tonight?
1: I don't have, I'm afraid I don't have anything. I forgot about this. So I'll do. <laughs> I didn't Jeremy. Watch, I didn't consume any. I didn't watch any TV except for Royals games this week. So fair. Fair. Jeremy, what's oh, your name? Yeah, well, I'll say, I'll say I, I've enjoyed the first two episodes of Succession this season. I think they, okay. I was worried about the last season whether they'd be able to stick the landing, and the first two episodes have been phenomenal. Great acting, hilarious show. Uh, so I, I would, I'll, I'll recommend Succession on HBO. Is, is Succession a comedy? It is a dark comedy. If you, okay. if you, if you're okay. So the, the thing that turned me off about it initially is that all the characters are extremely unlikable. But once you kind of get past that and you're like, okay, they're supposed to be unlikable, then it's great. Cause you want them all to get, you know, what's coming to them.
2: Yeah, the the ads I saw made it look like uh, a really unhappy drama. And I was just like, I don't know if I want any of that, but if yeah. it's, if it's going to be funny, even like a dark comedy, I might have to try that out.
1: Yeah. It's along the lines of like a, a, a Yannucci film. Well, you know, probably not that funny, but it's, it's, it's produced by Adam McKay, I believe. And so it's, okay. it's got a lot of humor in it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, all right. Jeremy, what you got for us tonight? So
2: I am going to recommend this week an anime that, uh, I think just wrapped up its season, uh, 13 episodes, first season call of the night, uh, which you can find, uh, on Amazon prime and high dive. And well, at least that's in the U.S. I S I don't know where you can find it everywhere else. Uh, The anime streaming rights are crazy. Um, but it is a show about a middle school kid who decides that school just isn't isn't working for him, Uh, he doesn't care for it. And then he gets insomnia. So then he starts sneaking out of his house at night and then he meets a vampire. And he learns from this vampire, that he can become a vampire if he falls in love with her and then she bites him. And so he decides, I I know what I want to do with my life now. It's not go to school. I want to become a vampire. And so kind of the premise of the show from that point on is him trying to make himself fall in love with her and her just trolling him mercilessly at all times. And it's uh, it's very funny. Um, I, I have, it reminds me a couple of my friendships where my friends just just troll me all the time and, and and so it brings a smile to my face every time i watch it uh so if you're if you're into
0: into that kind of thing uh i absolutely recommend call of the night All right. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm going to use my review and give someone some flowers this week and Rogers of MLB.com. You know, Max, you're talking about not taking in a whole lot of entertainment this week. Well, I find myself reading every single piece that, that Ann puts out um, just to stay with the team. And I consider Ann really the only traditional beat reporter left for the Royals. I don't know what the star has going on. This beat reporter by committee thing. I love Josh Veneer but he's a radio guy. I like, I like my written input um, Ann Rogers has been doing great. She's been staying on top of the news and giving us some really good insight into the team. So, Ann, please keep it up. And I can't wait to, I also can't wait to read what she puts out next. There's, there's some great bits in there that I would have never thought of getting. I'm, I will absolutely second that. Ann, uh, gets, she, she gets
2: great scoops, And she also writes in a very entertaining way, which is not a guarantee, especially for beat writers. Um, You you can get some really dry writing um, that's very inform informational, but very dry. And her writing is not dry at all. It's very easy to read.
0: Uh, So a big, big, uh, big seconding to, to recommending her well thank you thank you thank you and hey if you want some more entertaining reads on all things royals please go check out royalsreview.com also on twitter and on facebook jeremy greco max reaper thank you so much for joining me tonight and to all of our listeners out there thank you for supporting and until next time go
1: royals